special welcome to children in this service. A special welcome to my daughter and son-in-law who have traveled up to be with us this Christmas season. What a joy it is to be with you both. Um, we miss our other children that can't be here, and perhaps you have a groaning and a longing for those that you can't be with this Christmas season as well. But on behalf of our family, to all of you, a very Merry Christmas. And the reason that we are merry is because of Christ in Christmas. And so I want to take us backwards before we go forwards. So if you can open in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And if you don't have it with you, whether it's electronic or hard copy, I'll read to you from God's Word so you can follow along. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. Now this is a promise that God has made to David. Let me read to you from God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. After the king, this is David, was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a palace of cedar, while the ark of the covenant remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Wherever, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and, and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with the tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers who I commanded, to the shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from pasture and from following the flock to be a ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have cut off from all your enemies before you. Now I will make your enemies, and sorry, make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him as, a as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. So, dear friends, it seems awfully appropriate to pray before we dive into God's Word. So let's do that. 
Dear Lord, our creator, our sustainer, we come before you marveling at who you are, marveling at your creation, and marveling at your plan. Please open our minds, open our hearts to receive the truths that are found only in and through your word. In your holy, precious, and matchless name we pray. Amen. So when I say the word marvel, what do you think of? Perhaps some of you might think of Marvel comics or Marvel movies. Fun fact, there has been 13 Marvel movies in the last two years alone released. 34 in the last 13 years. There's 7,000 Marvel characters There are even more, if you include the villains, up to 50,000. One of the things that I marvel at is the night sky. So last night I was having a conversation with our second oldest son who had just gotten home from a Christmas gathering. He's in Louisville, Kentucky, and he said, Dad, the stars are brilliant. And perhaps you have had that feeling before, maybe up north or somewhere where you look up and see the creation and you see the stars, and maybe planets, and you marvel. And so the question that I have to ask you is, why do we marvel at the night sky? God's word tells us the answer. Psalm 19, verse 1 through 4 says this. Listen to God's word. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. So the beauty of a clear night sky and the moonlight displays the handiwork of God and provides perspective of who he is as creator and who we are as his creatures. Have you ever noticed when you look up you feel small? Or is it just me? You see the grandeur, you see the bigness of God and his creation, and we feel small in comparison. From the depths of space, we can also look back at the earth. And what you see up in front of you now on the screen is a true picture from a true story, and it's called the pale blue dot. And so to help orient you, what you're seeing here is a ray of sunlight And what this is, the pale blue dot is a photograph of the planet Earth taken on February the 14th, 1990 by space probe Voyager 1. Voyager 1 was speeding out of the solar system beyond Neptune and was about 3.7 billion miles or 6 billion kilometers from the sun. When mission managers commanded it to look back and start to take a series of photography or pictures 60 in total were woven together, and it actually forms the first family portrait of our solar system. The picture that would become known as the pale blue dot shows the Earth within a scattered ray of sunlight, and the spacecraft's science platform was pointed at Neptune, and the observations began. After Neptune, it took images of Uranus and Saturn and Mars and Sun and then Jupiter, and finally, the Earth. The Earth images were taken at 4.42 Greenwich Mean Time on February the 14th, 1990, 
just 34 minutes before Voyager 1 powered its cameras off forever. This is the furthest known picture ever taken of our planet Earth. In the photograph, the Earth's apparent size is actually less than a pixel. The planet appears as a tiny dot against the vastness of space. Among the bands of sunlight reflected by the camera, and perhaps, like me, you marvel when you see this at God's creation. Perhaps you see how small we really are and how big God really is. So my prayer is that this morning's sermon would start with the Old Testament. We would start with a passage in 2 Samuel and then we would zoom out to see the majesty and marvel at God's creation. Marvel at God's Savior and Son, Jesus Christ. And so to go forward, we will go backwards. And to do that, we're gonna get through a quick history lesson. This will take you no more than three or four minutes. But let me orient you to where we are because we're picking up, if you will, a story that we have to understand the context of it so that we can apply it properly. So in 2 Samuel chapter five, a couple chapters before this, we see, we see a transition in the kingship. So Saul is no longer king, and David has now been appointed king. And so the first point you see here is a replacement of kingship. The second point is that the Lord has blessed Israel uh, victory over the Jebusites. The main city of the Jebusites was named, named Jebus, which we know now as Jerusalem. And so David had conquered the main city of the capital of Canaan, which is Jebus. Third point, Jebus is now renamed Jerusalem and made the capital. And the capital city actually translates into the city of God or the city of David, Zion. The old name, interestingly enough, actually means threshing floor when translated. And so you see a transition in the name, you see a transition in the power. The fourth point is the ark. This is really important, you catch this. The ark of the covenant that had been tabernacling, had been wandering, sojourning through wilderness, is now brought into the capital. And so for the first time, we see a new capital and we see the uniting of God's presence in the main city. Fourth point. Fifth point here is there's peace for God's people on all sides, particularly and notably the Philistines. And sixth and finally, the northern and southern kingdoms are unified under King David's rule. So that's where we have come from. Now look to God's word and we'll unpack what it says together with the goal of going from David to Jesus Christ in the next time that we have together. So verse two, 2 Samuel 7, verse two. David, here's the scene. So David is looking out from his palace, it says here, made of cedar. There's, a, there's an interchange that you're going to see on the word house. In its original language, it actually is the same derivative word that's used to talk about the house of David versus the house of God. And so David in his house with his dear friend Nathan is looking out and he says, look, I'm in my palace, but God's presence, represented by the Ark of the Covenant, is in this tent. Now it's a beautiful tent, it's an elaborate tent, it's an expensive tent, but in the end it's a tent. And so David turns to his dear friend, who is a prophet, and says to him his desire. 
I would like to build a house, meaning temple, for the Lord. We have peace now. We have settlement now. Let me build a house. Nathan in verse 3, as you see here, affirms the, the desire. Now, if we think about this for a second, is the desire wrong to want to build God a house? No, I don't think so. The problem is that's not what God desires here. So the heart of David, I don't think, is inherently wicked in this. I don't think it's prideful. I think he actually wants to do something. God has delivered them from their enemies. God has established them in Jebus, Jerusalem, and now he wants to honor God by building him a permanent dwelling, a house of cedar, a temple. And Nathan affirms this in verse 3. Now, prophets don't prophesy all the time. Does that make sense? So they speak God's word vis-a-vis prophecy some of the time, but they don't prophesy all the time. They're wise men, they're learned men, but in this case here, Nathan gets it wrong. So in verse three, Nathan has affirmed it, and that very night, I want you to pay attention to this, that very night, we're gonna come back to that in a second, God speaks to Nathan and course corrects him. So the question that I want you to ask of God's word in the text here is why does God course correct him that very night? And here is what I think the answer is. I believe that God in his kindness does not want to sully and or hurt the reputation of his prophet and his people. So he course corrects Nathan and tells Nathan to tell David, you're not going to do this. Where have I been? Have I not been with you as I've sojourned all the way up? And as you continue to read through the story as we have, you realize God says, I don't need you to build me a house. I will build you a house, David. Now the house here, same underlying word, actually means dynasty. And so what you have here is a promise. Now the word that's missing from this text is the word covenant. But a covenant, and I'll say this especially for the younger people here and online, is a promise. And this is a divine promise. This is a promise that God makes to his line, to his people, and he says, I will build you a house, meaning a lineage, meaning a dynasty, and it will be there forever. And so continue with me to look at God's word. Verse seven, wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers that I've commanded, why have you not built me a house of cedar? See, this is such a beautiful image of God. He has humbled himself to be with his people, condescended to be with his people, and is in a tent, not complaining, not desiring, rather transitioning when David wants to do something for God. And isn't this like God? Isn't this like your own life? Have you ever had desires in your own life to do something? Maybe even good desires that get changed? And in here, God desires to want to do something for David that isn't just good, it's permanent. But David at that point would have no idea, most likely, what the fulfillment would be vis-a-vis here. And so last week, Pastor Jamie talked about Psalm 2 and its ultimate completion in Jesus Christ roughly a thousand years later. And so here, as we continue through the story, look with me now to verse 12. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, meaning you're dead, 
I will raise up an offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. This is Solomon, okay? How we know it's Solomon, continue with your will to verse 14. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, so that's a clear indication it's not Jesus Christ, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings, but my love will never be taken away as it had been from Saul. So you have an an eternal covenant, and three times you're gonna see in verse 13, once, twice, and 16, you're gonna hear the word forever, forever, forever. So God is affirming to David, through Nathan, his friend and prophet, that my house will be established, not your house, my lineage will be established through your offspring. And ultimately, and as we'll see here in a few moments, do you remember what was just read up here? The very first words out of Matthew 1.1, in the very first sentence, talks about Jesus Christ from the line of David. The ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy, the ultimate fulfillment of this covenant is going to be enacted on the birth of Jesus Christ. And so what you have here is a beautiful uh, foreshadowing of what God will do through Christ. So, God does not tell David no. Do you notice that? God does not tell David no. David's desire is to want to build God's house, right? God says, no, 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 I will build you a house. But he doesn't say no. He says, not yet. That's important. The desire of his heart is right. The implementation of this in terms of when and who is wrong. So God does not say to him, no, he says, not yet. Your offspring will build me a house. Psalm 89 that was also read affirms four times that this covenant, this promise, would stand forever. So that's the story. Verse 13, verse 16, and the story sort of stops and then there's a transition. And now I wanna turn our eyes from God's promise to David's reply, David's response, point two. So David, in verse 18, and I won't read it all to you, I wanna read to you just two verses to start to context. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me thus far? And as if there were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of our house of your servant. Is this the usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? I'll stop there. O sovereign Lord is used eight times in the next 11 verses. Now, I don't know about you, But when you have a desire and God changes your direction, how do you respond? How do I respond? Often when I want something or desire something, and hopefully I have a good underlying desire, I'm not sure that I would do what David did here. See, David, if you catch the words, sat before the Lord like a child. He sat quietly before the Lord, not begrudgingly, not upset, not fuming, but rather worshiping. And continue with me to look at verse 20. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. Now, for those that 
have a, a good knowledge of the, the Bible, you might think to yourself, wait a second, did God's promise actually fail? For 400 years after this statement by God to David, vis-a-vis through Nathan, David's line would temporarily cease from ascension of being on the throne. You remember, if you know your history of God's kingdom and God's people, that there would be a time of exile. And so while we're in a point of unification right now, after David, remember what happened to David? He sinned, right? So David sinned with Bathsheba and killed her husband Uriah. Solomon comes afterwards, wise, judicious, but he also sins. He brings in foreign idols and there's a syncretism that happens in the land, meaning there's a a conflating of foreign gods and, and the God. And if you go after Solomon, you have king after king, especially in Israel, where there is a a depravity, sin nature, meaning that these kings are not worthy. In Judah, you see a mixed report where some kings are a little better, maybe, than what's happening in Israel, but the bottom line is none of them are worthy. And 400 years later, you see God's line through David on the throne is no longer. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves of God's word is, did, God, did God's promise, did God's covenant fail? And the answer is no. The rest of the Old Testament, all the way through, is answering and asking this question, did God's promise fail? And the very first line of the New Testament says, it did not fail, it has been completed through Jesus Christ. And that's the good news, that's the great hope that we have that transitions us from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That's why we celebrate Christ at Christmas. Because he is the fulfillment of a thousand years ago, a promise made. And now we see it come through to completion at Christmas and through the scriptures. So that's where we have come from. So there will be a new covenant it will be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. There will be a new creation, there will be a new exodus, there will be a new king, an eternal king that will not fail, that will not falter, that will not sin, that will not move into a life that falters and fails. He will follow God's will, not partially, but perfectly. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of what was said in 2 Samuel 7, 13, and 16. That's why we celebrate Christ. This line, this lineage, this plan was not, and this is important, this was not plan B. God did not react to man's action. This was not a surprise to God. But this was a plan that had been enacted that we slowly caught up to, and we have the complete old and new that shows the completeness of the intentionality of God's design. We marvel at God's plan, we marvel at God's son, but we also realize that this was always the plan, and this is important. So the gospels bear witness that Jesus Christ is the Davidic king. Point three, the divine promised is fulfilled. While shepherds watch, you know these songs, right? Christmas time, we all love these songs. 
while shepherds watched their flocks by night, the great glory of God appeared. From David's line, the Savior who is Christ was born. Have you ever noticed in the imagery that there is this light piercing through the darkness in almost all of the images connected to Christmas? That's exactly what Jesus Christ did. For he is an eternal light that Jesus himself even describes himself as the light of the world. Listen to Revelation 22, 16 one more time. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. His own words confirm this. And the bright morning star. The hope of the ages has finally been born. God's true son has finally been born. The promised salvation, God with us, Emmanuel, has been born. And the vision once clouded, now our hearts, it appears. Once shrouded in mystery, redemption is made clear. What clarifies darkness? Light. If you've ever been, and I can tell you of a personal story, where we were in a cavern, cave, underground, in Indiana, and taking a boat underground with a guide, and at the end of the tour, the guide said to all of us, I want all lights off, please. And we went from sight to complete blindness in a moment. And this blindness was so deep that you could put your fingers in front of your face and you couldn't see your fingers waving an inch from your face. You knew they were there, you could feel they were there, but you had no ability to see. And then he did something that was fascinating. He took a small little light, a pin light, and it illuminated the darkness. And that's what Jesus Christ does for us. For without Christ, Christmas has no inherent purpose. It's commercial. It has trees, it has tinsel, it has gifts, it has this, but they fade and they fail, and they always will. But Jesus Christ is the gift that will never fade, perish, or tarnish. And so now the question that you have to wrestle with, that I have to wrestle with, whether you're here or online, is do you believe it? Not do you say it, but do you believe it? Does your life represent it? Is it transforming to your heart? Do you follow Jesus, not as one of many paths, but as the exclusive path to salvation? It seems in this society and around this world that if you say that, that that feels, maybe that feels too narrow. But that's not what God's word says. He says, I am the singular door and the path to salvation. And therefore, we all have to wrestle with this. For if in this present life that we are to eat and drink and be merry, and that's all we have, then we are without hope. But that's not what we believe. We believe that Christ is the Son of God. Christ is the Son of David. He is the promised Messiah. He is the conquering King, and he will come again. And while this universe, as I showed you before, displays the handiwork of God, the Bible reveals God's voice. This is critical we understand this. There's a general revelation, meaning that God reveals himself to all people, but he has specifically, specially revealed to us through his word, his plan, his son. And therefore, we are accountable. 
we are without excuse. We're all without excuse. And so therefore, the most important message I could ever deliver to any of you is, do you believe? And does your life line up to that? For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. John 3.15 confirms and affirms to us that everyone who believes has faith and may have eternal life in him. So the final point is faith. In 1 John 5.1, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ has been made a child of God. So whether you are five years old or 99 years old in the room or online, you can and will be saved, not might be saved, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. It's as simple as that. And turn from your old sins and to walk with Christ through the Spirit. That's the promise that we have. And so this gospel message is woven in through the old and it's completed in through the new. You may be a guest watching here and a skeptic of Christianity. You may have stopped listening to me some time ago, but I want you to listen right now. If you believe Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the Son of David, as the Messiah God with us, and if you turn from your sins, you will be saved. Is there a greater message to share this Christmas season? Not you might be, you will be saved. And for those who already believe, I pray that this message has encouraged both your understanding of God's word and your appreciation and affection for your Savior, Jesus Christ. We praise God that we once were people walking in darkness. We understand that. But we have seen a great light. We understand that Jesus is the light of the world and whoever follows him will never walk in darkness. And so as we close, we need to guard our hearts as God's children, not to be prideful. For the only reason that we have this knowledge is what God has revealed to us. And therefore, guard our hearts from pride that we know so much more than others. We too once walked in darkness. And so our hearts should be compelled for those that are lost, because that's what God's word compels us to do. Aren't we thankful for Jesus? Let's pray. God, we have marveled at your perfect plan. We've marveled at your Son, Jesus Christ. He is the eternal King. We see the failure in humanity from David to Solomon to the following kings, but we also see the failure in our own hearts, in our own lives. And we realize that the only way that we are made right is through Jesus, and we just praise you. We thank you, Father, for your plan. We thank you, Jesus, for following the will, and we thank you, the Spirit, for convicting us, for instructing us, for guiding us as we walk anew in the light and through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray, amen. Well, we're so glad you've been able to join us for this last concluding worship service of the year 2021.
Tuesday's time, it will be the new year. We're looking forward to a new year of great blessing from the Lord. It will be our 50th year as a church. Later in 2022, in October, we will celebrate our 50th anniversary. But throughout the year, there will be little vignettes of celebration. And uh, we trust that you will be here with us to be a part of a historic event that's going to unfold in our church in the coming year. Pastor Chris's message has brought to an end our Christmas series, Christmas Foretold, for this Advent season. Next Christmas, we'll be back looking at the prophecies of the Old Testament, which speak of the birth of the Lord Jesus, his coming into the world. As you leave this morning, uh, we're encouraging you, I think you've already heard this in the announcements, to pick up a copy of Seek Week 2022. This is a prayer guide to help you through that first week of the year. Next Sunday morning will be a prayer and communion service, special focus on prayer, and then in the evening, a concert of, of prayer, and we're looking forward to you being with us. And then throughout that first week, um, two days set aside for you to come and gather at the church throughout the day to join us in prayer. Information about that is all included here. And now may the one who was given the throne of his father, David, and whose kingdom will never end. May he grant you all that you need for life and godliness in this coming year. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.